Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Gospel reading appointed for today can only be understood by what has come before it in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus defends the good news which he has preached to poor, wretched sinners. He preaches in that chapter the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. These texts reveal the nature of our conversion. God is the one who seeks us out. God is the one who finds us. God is the one who rescues us. We, being lost, could not find the path to heaven. But our Savior gently places us on his shoulders, and he carries us home. These parables are spoken to silence the Pharisees, who trust in the righteousness of their own works and despise the sinners and the tax collectors. But in chapter 16, Jesus switches gears. Listen to the first part of today's reading. Jesus also said to his disciples. This parable told today is addressed to those who are Christians, those lost ones who have been found. And what does Jesus teach his disciples? He teaches them true prudence. Prudence is a word we don't use very often, but it literally means seeing ahead. Prudence isn't book smarts. Prudence is being able to govern yourself with the use of reason. It means looking at a situation and making the best choices that you can. Jesus here is teaching us how to be prudent with our earthly possessions so that our money might be a source of benefit and blessing to the church. You see, it is the easiest thing in the world to become a Christian. You don't do anything. You are converted. You are turned from unbelief to faith. You, dead in your trespasses and sins, are made alive by Christ. But to remain a Christian is very, very hard. Jesus tells us in another place, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We must diligently guard the free gift of salvation which we have received, because the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh want to snatch it out of our grasp. This is why Jesus talks about true prudence, or shrewdness, in today's parable. He uses the example of the manager in order to demonstrate to us true prudence. So how is the manager in today's parable prudent or shrewd? Well, first, in order to be prudent, you must know yourself. The manager knows himself. He says to himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig I am ashamed to beg. He knows himself. 
He knows that he will soon be out of a job. And he isn't under any delusions here. He knows that he won't be able to get another manager job because he is a cheat. He knows that he isn't strong enough to do manual labor. And he knows that his pride won't let him collect welfare checks. Knowing yourself is the first step in true prudence. Second, in order to be prudent, you must know the time. That's exactly what the manager in today's parable knows. He knows the time, and he uses the time that he has left. He doesn't sit around and mope. He doesn't face the end with paralyzing res res uh, resignation. No, this man takes the time that he has left, and he squeezes every last second out of it. Finally, in order to be prudent, you must know the situation. The steward introduces a high deflationary trend in his master's bills. The master reduces the oil bill by 50%, and he reduces the wheat bill by 20%. He does this knowing that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. And what is the response of the master to all this? Jesus tells us, The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. By knowing himself, by knowing the time, and by knowing the situation, the manager saved his bacon. He made friends who would take care of him after he had received his pink slip. So what does this have to do with us today? First, Jesus gives us a warning. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Here, Jesus is telling us that unbelievers, the children of this world, are more prudent in this life than Christians are. And it's sad to say that unbelievers are often more zealous and prudent than believers. Unbelievers work hard. They keep their financial goals in mind. Many of the very, very wealthy unbelievers have worked long hours and they have sacrificed much in order to be where they are today. The people of this world seek to discover and utilize everything that will bring them profit in this life. So that's the thing. Are we Christians prudent? Often, Jesus says, we are put to shame by the world. We often don't know ourselves as the shrewd servant did. We don't see how great our weaknesses are. Otherwise, we would run here every day to receive the forgiveness of sins and to hear God's word. We don't know the time like the shrewd servant did. Because we don't believe in our heart of hearts that death can come at any moment. Otherwise, we would spend way more time preparing for our own deaths when we must give a reckoning to our Lord and God for all that we have done or left undone. And we don't know the situation like the shrewd servant did. Otherwise, we would be looking for every opportunity to serve God 
and to serve our neighbor within our stations as mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, and workers. And in fact, many Christians are more concerned with the goals and the objectives of the children of the world than they are with the kingdom of light. They're certainly willing to wake up early and go to work or to go to a baseball game, but getting up for church is just too much of an imposition. Many are willing to blow $100 on date night, but giving to the congregation or to missionaries for the maintenance and the extension of God's word and work, well, that's just too much to ask. In our homes, we make yearly budgets and we make five-year plans, but how many of us have truly prepared for the world which is to come? How many of us have reconciled with our enemies? How many of us have repented of our sins? How many of us have received forgiveness? Death can come at any time, and then there is no more time. This is a warning for us. We should take the shrewd servant as a model. He should not be our model on account of his dishonesty, Rather, his prudence and his shrewdness should inspire us to find the wisest method to capitalize and optimize whatever is to our spiritual and to our eternal advantage. So first, you should know yourself. Read Genesis 5.3, Genesis 6.5, Genesis 8.21, Job 15.14, Psalm 51.5, John 3.6, and Romans 14.23, in order to see the deep corruption which adheres in your body and your soul. And read Romans 7 to see how you still struggle with sin in this life. Second, know the time. Read the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 13 through 21. Our lives can end at any time. And then our stewardship will be over. We will have to give an account. Third, know the situation. Read the table of duties found in your small catechism. Look at your station in life. How do you serve God? And how do you serve your neighbor. By reading the Ten Commandments and the Table of Duties, you will find plenty of good works which are pleasing to God, which are beneficial to your neighbor. But this text doesn't just give us warnings. Our Savior here is encouraging us to use our wealth in such a way as to reap an eternal reward. Jesus says to us at the end of this parable, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Our Savior says that we can make friends by money, by means of unrighteous mammon. We should not gather money and goods and property for its own sake. 
Money shouldn't be the end. Money shouldn't be our God. Money is a tool. Money is not a tool to get more wealth. Money is a tool to make friends for ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying here today. In this text, Jesus is encouraging almsgiving, and he is, in, he is encouraging the support of the Christian congregation. When we give to our needy neighbor, to the least of Jesus' disciples, it is as if we have loaned money to Jesus himself. When we give to the Christian congregation, we provide for the further planting and propagation of the Christian church. I mean, think about that. Think of the wonderful things that Jesus is encouraging here and how by his grace, your money is used to expand his kingdom. We may meet men and women and children from Sri Lanka Africa or from the Dominican Republic in heaven who have heard the word of God and they were converted because of the financial support that we give to our missionaries. Think of the school where many generations of children have been reared in the Christian faith and they have retained that faith. They too will meet us in the heavenly habitations. That would not have been possible without your financial support. Think of this congregation where the word of God is preached purely in the midst of so many erring congregations. You have received the heavenly heritage of the pure gospel because your grandparents built this building, because your parents paid for a minister of the gospel to baptize and to preach and to commune for all of these years. The past generation has made friends with you by means of unrighteous men. And our Lord Jesus looks at your humble offerings and your humble contributions, and he says that they are precious in his sight. Even though your giving is imperfect, even though you struggle to give with a generous heart, or you might not be able to give much at all, Christ still covers your imperfections with his blood and with his righteousness. He declares that your offerings are a pleasant aroma in his nostrils, that they are an acceptable sacrifice. Now, we can't buy our way into heaven, but we can be assured of a joyous reception in heaven. When we have been faithful with the little money that God has given to us, then we will be rewarded and we will receive true riches, eternal life. And that should spur us on to even greater and greater good works. But be warned, Jesus says that those who have been unfaithful with their wealth shall by their unbelief lose the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says later on in the 16th chapter of Luke's Gospel, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Money is a great gift of God. 
but it can also be a stumbling block and it can be a terrible temptation. And so, let us thank our Savior for rescuing the lost and for receiving back the prodigal. Let us confess to him that we have not been as prudent in our spiritual lives as we are in our earthly lives. And let us joyously serve our neighbor with our wealth so that our friends may receive us into the heavenly habitations too. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.